ministry of Elijah continues, we want to look at the final paragraph of chapter 18, just verse 41 through 46 together uh, tonight. So let me uh, read that for us and I pray for the Lord's blessing on our study and then and we'll begin together. So do listen uh, once again as uh, the Lord is speaking to you through his perfect word. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth. He put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And Elijah said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Thus far, in the reading of God's Word, let's pray once again. Father, we do bow before you even now at the end of the day, crying for help, knowing that our hope is in your Word. We ask that you would make us understand this truth before us tonight, that we might meditate on your wonderful promises. We know that your Word is more valuable than all the treasures of this world. So do give us life tonight in your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I tend to find stories in church history altogether compelling. That's why I love to read biographies. And if you want to read stories that not just are compelling, but altogether convicting, all you have to do is read these stories of mighty saints of old who were mighty in prayer, and you'll find yourself thoroughly and sometimes overwhelmingly convicted at the model of prayer that they put up for our consideration, and even conviction in one such story that belongs to our tradition, certainly one of the most famous ones would come from the Scottish reformer named John Knox. He was a man that was used more than any other in the entire area of Scotland to bring Reformation in the 16th century, and surely there's no small reason for that power in Reformation than that belonged to his life of prayer. He exemplified a maxim that he was said to have uttered that one person with God is always in the majority. He famously prayed on one occasion, give me Scotland or I die. And much of his ministry, as it belonged to so many reformers in the 16th century, was that of conflict with political powers, certainly tussles with the monarchs of the time, and he famously tussled with Queen Mary. She wanted to continue Catholicism's rule in the land, and Knox wanted to bring Protestant Reformation to the country. And on one occasion, Mary, the queen, was said to say, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the invading armies of Europe. And if that was true that she said that, it's no doubt in Knox's life 
Nothing more than him modeling the life of prayer that's before us tonight. Because we can be sure that King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, those wicked rulers in ancient Israel, are learning that they should fear the prayers of the prophet Elijah more than all the invading armies of the ancient Near East, such as the prevailing power of this prophet when he's on his knees, as we'll see it tonight. You know, the Bible has told us, haven't, hasn't it, you know, in the letter to the Philippians, Paul tells us, even commands us to keep our eyes on those that walk as models of pursuing godliness in the Christian life, and because we're people that so often need help of, of models to know what it looks like to live in godliness and holiness. The scriptures paint these wonderful portraits of certain models of godliness. So, for example, in that same letter, Paul speaks of Timothy as a model faithful servant. Job is said to be a model of steadfastness. The prophet Jeremiah is said to be a model of patience and suffering. Moses is a model of meekness. And if you wanted to go to the Bible looking for a model person of prayer, you'll find no small number of examples. But what you need to understand tonight is the inspired scriptures tell us that outside of Jesus Christ, the model prayer person in the Bible is actually Elijah. Uh, We've mentioned the text already before in our study of Elijah. James chapter 5, verse 17 through 18 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. That latter part of verse 18 in James chapter 5 refers to our text tonight. The prayer of faith exemplified best in the prophet Elijah. That's what the Bible tells us. So that's our theme tonight, uh, the prayer of faith. And if you wanted to know just how vital and important such prayer is in the Christian life, you need only to survey some of the old masters to see what they say about the place of prayer in the Christian life. So Richard Baxter says, prayer is the breath of the new creature. George Herbert said, prayer is the soul's blood. Uh, David McIntyre, an old pastor in his classic book on prayer, calls it the lifeblood of the Christian. Old Spurgeon says, prayer is as essential as the heaving of one's lungs, as the beating of one's pulse. Or another comment that's been bandied about so often in church history, we really don't know who said it originally, But the essence of it sounds like this. What a person is on their knees in prayer, that is what the person is and no more. If you want to know the true spirituality of a person, just see if they pray. And listen to what they pray. It's surely why a study of prayer perhaps might be the most universally convicting subject that we could examine. I mean, just even this afternoon, I was listening to a man that I would consider a mentor of sorts in the ministry. And a mentor of sorts because his his prayers I always find incredibly humbling. And he was speaking about, in his own life, how far he has to go in learning the lessons of prayer in the school of Christ. And I thought to myself, if, if he's got so far to go, how far do we have to go in the school of prayer? But the good news is that the text before us is here to help us 
learn about this prayer of faith in a few different ways. So let's make sure we set the context before we pick up in verse 41, because if you weren't with us last week, we looked at the first 40 verses, or actually the verse 20 through 40 of chapter 18, this great contest there at Mount Carmel. Uh, Kids, I hope you remember what the rules of engagement were for this contest. Elijah has summoned all of Israel to Mount Carmel. He summoned these 850 pagan prophets to come as well. And he says, here are the terms of the battle before us. Each of us are going to cut a bull up. Each of us are going to lay it on an altar. And each of us are going to call upon our respective God, Yahweh or Baal, and see who sends forth fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. The prophets of Baal, they begin the encounter. And you might remember, for hours and hours and hours. They're ranting, they're raving, they cut themselves, pouring forth blood in their earnest petitions for Baal to send forth fire from heaven. But remember, students, Baal is a dumb and a dead idol. Because all idols are what? Dumb and dead. And dumb and dead idols can't hear. Therefore, they can't answer. And so nobody answers the prophets of Baal. And in all of the context of the ranting and raving, eventually Elijah shows up and altogether cool, altogether calm, altogether collected. What we saw is he prayed a covenantal, a clear, and a quick prayer. Glance back at what he said there in verse 36 and 37 of chapter 18. He's called the nation of Israel to draw near to him, and he says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant that I have done all of these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And then immediately, children, you remember, fire fell from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, the altar, the water, all of the dust thereby, that the nation of Israel finally saw, of course, Baal is dead. There's one living God who rules over Israel, and his name is Yahweh. They saw the vanity of idols. They saw the victory of God. But the victory, if you know the story, isn't fully complete yet. And that's where we pick up the story tonight in verse 41. And the first thing I want you to see about the prayer of faith in our text is confidence for prayer. Confidence for prayer. Because notice verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain or the sound of the abundance of rain. It might seem a little bit odd to have this command to the king to go to the cafeteria at Mount Carmel. In light of what just happened, why should Ahab go eat and drink? Well, we don't know for sure, but it seems quite likely that what the prophet is commanding of the king here is to engage in this practice of covenant renewal that happened all throughout the Old Testament because there's this common pattern that belonged to God's people in the Old Testament. Uh, They displeased the Lord with their sin, which brought upon these kind of covenant curses, this discipline from God, but in time in His mercy and grace, He draws near and brings repentance and faith, restoring them. And ordinarily, the climax to that kind of covenant renewal ceremony it would be, be a meal. Perhaps the most famous time in the Old Testament was in Exodus 24, where the elders of Israel there at Mount Sinai, when they were cutting and confirming the covenant that was made with Yahweh there, what we refer to as the Mosaic Covenant, they went up and they ate a meal to signify their fellowship as covenant 
joiners in this relationship. So maybe that's what Ahab is meant to do here with eating and drinking. But we're more interested in the second part of the verse. For there is a sound of the rushing of rain. You know, kids, if, if you can think back to a few days ago, if your home was anything like mine on Wednesday night of this week, you were quite familiar with the sound of the rushing of rain. Uh, three of my children and I were driving back during the storm from a soccer game that ended just in time before the sound of the rushing of rain followed along 60-mile-an-hour winds moving the car along the highway on the way home. And what's altogether interesting is that we're going to soon see in context, if you were standing there on Mount Carmel with Elijah and looking out to the west, to the sea, Mediterranean Sea, there's no clouds in that sky. There's no rain that he is physically and actually hearing. But he says, I hear the sound of the rushing of rain. Because Elijah is a man that doesn't live by sight. He's a man that lives by faith. Because remember, the reason he came back to Israel, go back to verse 1 of chapter 18. This is what has not yet been completed in this wonderful scene at Carmel. He said, go show yourself to Ahab, Elijah, and what? I will send rain upon the earth. And no rain had yet fallen upon the earth, but Elijah has a promise I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah can say to Ahab, I hear the sound of the rushing of rain. It's a promise, confidence in God's promise, that drives Elijah to pray. And I trust you know your Bible well enough, many of you, to know how so often these figures in the Scriptures that are so full of a life of prayer, uh, they're so full of a life of prayer because their heart is so full of trust in God's promises. They know what God has said is going to happen. They know what God has said is going to come to pass, and then therefore they pray for that very promise to come to pass. It's why an old pastor named William Gurnall would speak about prayer as just the promise in reverse. Because it's in the word that God speaks his promise to us. It's in prayer that we speak back that promise to God. Saying, you said you're going to do this. And like he did there at Mount Carmel. Elijah, answer me, O God. Answer me. And make good on your promise. For you are always faithful. Maybe even consider tonight how your small practice of prayer may be related more than you realize. To a small feasting upon God's promises. A small reliance upon God's promises. A small confidence in God's promises. So he shows us the confidence for prayer. But the bulk of the text, of course, deals with his persistence in prayer. Notice what we're told in verse 42. Elijah goes up to the top of Mount Carmel while Ahab is eating and drinking. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. You know, students, I hope that you've thought before about posture in prayer. It's much more important in the Bible than you might realize what we do with our body when we pray. And we don't need to spend much time on that tonight, if only to say here in verse 42, what does Elijah's posture in prayer communicate? But his humility before the Lord, his dependence upon the Lord, however long it took for him in prayer for the promise to come to pass, eventually he looks up at his servant and notice verse 43. He says, go up now, look toward the sea. 
servant goes up and says, there's nothing. This pattern repeats seven times. And what we've seen just in the first two chapters of Elijah's life and ministry is a pattern that's altogether different than what he has experienced so far in prayer. Because think about the various prayers we've already heard him utter in this wonderful story. There's the widow of Zarephath's son who's dead. Elijah prays, and instantly, the boy's raised from the dead. Last week, previous part of this passage, he's at Mount Carmel. He prays for fire to fall from heaven, and immediately, fire falls down from heaven. He's a man that was familiar with instantaneous answers to his prayers. But clearly, he's not a man who is only familiar with instantaneous answers to his praying. Because what happens here up at the top of Mount Carmel waiting for rain? He prays, he prays, he prays, 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 and prays some more. I wonder if that could be ever said to be true of your life. She prays, 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 prays. He prays, 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 and prays. You get the point, don't you? That there's so often in our Christian life persistence that's required in prayer. And persistence, of course, comes because the answer arrives. Notice verse 44 as it continues. In the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. You know, I wonder what it must have been to be like that servant there watching and listening to this man of God pray. I hope you've had times in your life where you've been near a man or a woman of the Lord and listened and watched them pray. And it just strikes you to the depth of your being. One of my favorite stories along these lines came from the old president of Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. His name was Edmund Clowney. He served there for a number of years as a professor and president, and there was an occasion where he recalled going to Professor John Murray, who taught systematic theology, and Dr. Clowney went to Professor Murray with a private matter that he wanted some prayer on. And so he talked about how Professor Murray began to pray, and Dr. Clowney was altogether struck and quite troubled by the prayer, because he heard Professor Murray pray with such Awareness of God's transcendent holiness. That there was fear and trembling in the voice. But combined with such knowledge of his merciful nearness. That he was speaking with familiarity and intimacy. And so even the prayer was encouraging of course. Because Professor Murray, this man of righteousness, was praying for the request. But at the same time he left altogether troubled. Because his own prayer he talked about was just wooden. It was formal. In comparison, and maybe the prophet's persistence in prayer ought to convict us of our own feeble, fleeting, altogether non-persistent attempts at prayer. So the text is telling us there's confidence for a prayer of faith. There's an example of persistence in prayer. But you'll notice as the text ends, interestingly, there's endurance that comes from prayer, because he says, notice the end of verse 44, go to say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. 
You don't want to get the cart stuck in the mud, children. The rain is on the way. You'll notice verse 45, the rain soon comes. The skies turn black. A great rain pours forth. But notice what Ahab sees in front of him on the way home to Jezreel, which must have been a striking scene. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab. This horse-drawn chariot ran before Ahab all the way to Jezreel. That's something like 17 or 18 miles that the prophet is just running ahead. I think there is a spiritual lesson even in that, that it's those that run their race of endurance looking unto Jesus most effectively are those people who know persistence and confidence in prayer, the endurance that comes for the Christian life in prayer. But it's a story, it's a scene that's not meant to cause us to be overwhelmed with the running prowess of Elijah as though he was not just this man that could stand down the prophets of Baal. He could heal the dead. He could run marathons as easily as anyone who has ever lived. It's actually meant to be a picture of this. The word of the Lord running ahead of the king of God's people. Because the prophet represented what? The Lord's word. The king represented God's leader of the people. And what should always be running ahead of of the leader of God's people, but the word of the Lord. It's communicating to us the restoration of the correct pattern that had been absent in Israel for so long because the Lord's word was not running ahead of the leaders, walking ahead of the shepherds. Think about your own life, the things, the little souls maybe that you lead is the Lord's word ordinarily and increasingly running ahead of you, guiding your way home. So you can picture the scene. They show up at the palace there in Jezreel, Elijah before Ahab. Uh, They come with news that rain has finally fallen on the land. Thus they come with news that God's grace has once again visited his people. They come with news that the Lord has been faithful to his promise in all of his grace and kindness. And as they walk into the palace together, they notice that there's a light on in the queen's bedroom. And what we're going to see next week is Ahab is going to go into the devil's bedroom. And what's he going to do with a promise fulfilled by God? I would just simply ask you tonight, what what have you done with God's promises that have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Because of course, It's a scene that's not only meant to convict us in our own life of prayer, comfort us in the same, but I call our attention to the man of prayer to whom it ultimately points. You know, I have this document at home. I actually have it in pictures because it's an old document uh, called Personal Reformation. It's probably a piece of literature if I can call it such because it's so short a piece of literature that I've read more than anything in my entire life. And there's a section in this personal reformation where the young preacher of old begins to list off these subjects to study as he wants to increase in Christ's likeness. And that might be an interesting conversation you can have with family members or church members even later on tonight or this week. If someone asks you, what subjects would you want to study that you believe could be aids to your life of godliness. What would you put down? Well, one of the ones he mentions is this, quote, I ought to study Christ as an intercessor 
He prayed most for Peter, who is to be most tempted. I am on his breastplate, he says. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies, yet the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Because what's Elijah doing here but humbling himself before the Lord atop Mount Carmel, interceding for God's people, serving as the mediator for God's people. And what is he asking the Lord to do? Lord, bring your promise to pass. Lord, send your grace and your mercy upon your undeserving people. Lord, let your will be done. And do you know that you have a Savior in heaven? A mediator who always lives to make intercession on your behalf. Father, bring your purposes to pass in their life. Father, they don't deserve it. But because of what I've done for them, give them mercy and grace. Father, let your will be done in their life. There's reason that we can even find confidence, persistence, and endurance for a life of prayer because we have a Savior in heaven who's always praying for us. Let's pray together. Lord, we simply ask this night that you would stir within our hearts a faith to know you, Faith to look to you. Lord, faith that causes our knees to bend evermore in faithful prayer before you. Uh, We thank you that our Savior lives to make intercession for us. That we might know the falling down of your grace and mercy in our lives and upon our hearts. We pray such rain would even be an abundance to us this week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.